Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. A few years ago, we were having some guy thing here, men's thing, and cleaning up and doing some church duties, churchy, churchy duties. And uh, somebody had, used, we, we had a dumpster out back, and somebody had used our dumpster. And uh, what they had done, I believe it was a, a bar or something, what they had done is brought, brought two big bags of empty liquor bottles and beer bottles, and they just dumped them, and they didn't put them in the dumpster. And uh, I was like, who put the trash out there? And I go walking out. About that time, some folks that didn't know us but saw that there was activity came to the church and were just kind of finding out what we're about. And I was out there, and, you know, I have kind of a, a, a lousy sense of humor. And I saw all these empty bottles, and I threw them in the trash. And as I come back in, these folk, poor folks, not knowing my humor, are standing there and these, they just said, well, here's our pastor, and I come walking in, and somebody said, what was that trash? I said, oh, it was two big bag full of empty beer bottles and liquor bottles. I said, those deacons had a meeting again, and they didn't invite me. <laughs> they were so offended. They were like, took that so seriously that our, our deacons have uh, drunken brawls or something. But uh, uh, I better get on to my message so uh, the title of my message is, do I have it there? It's not there? All right. Well, the title of my message is, Jesus said, follow me. It's fishing season. There it is. Follow me. It's fishing season. I think many of us uh, today must have known that that's already happening because I've heard of so many that are out fishing and I, I hope they fill up their freezer. So I'm excited about that. Fishing season is important, but Jesus also considered fishing season very important. Follow me. It's fishing season. I believe that we are about to see a harvest that the earth has yet not seen before. It's sweeping the globe. It's going to be bigger than any of us can even grasp in our hearts. And we're going to be a part and play a part of that. So I want to ask this question. Are we in the last days? Is this the end times? We're facing pandemic. We're facing disease. We're facing uh, lawlessness. We're facing um, earthquakes and famines in the land. All the things Jesus spoke about that were a sign of the last days, a sign of the end times. Are we in the end times? There's wars, there's rumors of wars. The, the, the new thing is uh, coin shortage. There's a coin shortage. Not at my house. 
But there's a coin shortage. In fact, if you go to the bank and ask for a roll of quarters, they say, well, are you a business or not? We'll only give them one roll to a business. Because there's a coin shortage. And pretty soon, there's going to be a money shortage. And pretty soon, there's going to be a cashless society. Uh, that word's been bouncing around for a while now. Cashless society preparing us for this type of mentality, preparing us for possibilities of these things. So does that mean that we're in the last days? I'm going to answer that for you. I don't know. I think we've been in the last days for a long time. In fact, when Jesus was on earth, he says, we are near the end of time. We are in the last days. God is fulfilling his plan all along through this. What about the rapture? I've had people ask me this lately. Well, what about the rapture? Should we prepare as we prepare for these last days? Should we prepare for seven years of uh, tribulation? Should we prepare for three and a half years of tribulation? Should we just plan on just being raptured right away? You know, and I look at our church, we have these rapture escape hatches right there. Those that know that they'll be raptured right away are always sitting there. I just want you to take notice. Um, and there's always been this um, question in the church. Seven years of tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-tribulation. Um, Dick Benjamin used to say he was a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out. The key here is what should we do to prepare? Should we have seven years of food supply built up? Should we have guns and ammo built up? Should we have uh, gold on hand? Sure. I like to eat. If you have seven years of food supply, when mine runs out, I'm coming to your house. What we need to be watchful for is to entering into the spirit of this world, and we're going to get into this point in just a bit, coming back to Jesus saying, follow me. We've got to be careful about the spirit of this world being what's affecting our minds, our decisions, our thinking. We need to be a people of God, the church of God, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing what the Spirit is speaking to us. And if you are training and eagerly seeking the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into where you need to be and when you need to be there. We need to be careful about getting a survival mentality. God did not create you to survive. He did not create you to survive this world. He did not create you to survive the next 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, whatever time you have. He's designed you for eternity to reign and to rule with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your DNA. That's what you've been designed for, is to rule, 
to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ throughout eternity. And the church, if not careful, could take on the same spirit of the world and try to enter into a survival mentality of what are we going to do to survive through the difficult times. Difficult times will come. And I believe difficult times are coming. But the church will see a provision from God that will supply all of our needs according to his plan. Okay, you following with me? All right, so let's look at this. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me is the first step to becoming a Christian. You know, these guys are down there doing their jobs, fishing, tax collecting, whatever they might be, scribing, whatever they're doing. And along walks this man, Jesus, and he says, come and follow me. He says, learn of me. Learn of me. That happened in my life. I began to hear about Jesus. I became interested in knowing about him, finding out what it's about. I'm like most of you. I liked Jesus. I just didn't like his bride. I didn't like his choice of wife. We start by following Jesus. That's where it all starts. The disciples followed Jesus. He said, come after me. Come and follow me. Learn of me. Then the natural progression for them was uh, at one point he, he says to Peter, he says, who do men say that I am? He says, well, some say you're a prophet and a teacher and these different things. He says, he asked this question of Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, well, you're the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter, no man has shown you this. It's been given to you by the Spirit of God. When you are a follower and you're just simply wondering about Jesus and you come to that point in time where suddenly it's, your eyes are opened up, your spirit's opened up and you say, he is the Lord of Lords and he is the Savior and I need him. And I want him in my life. And I want to surrender my heart to him because that's the kind of compelling uh, argument that the Spirit of God builds in a man's heart. And he comes to that place. I didn't wait for an altar call. Everybody has a little different experience. Mine was I didn't wait for an altar call. I got hoodwinked into going to church. This guy deceived us. He tricked us. He says, we didn't let anybody know where we lived. This guy snuck in, somehow gave us a ride we didn't want in a different direction than we were going and got us back to our cabin up in the woods my eyes had become blinded to this fact. And then he says, I'll be here Thursday night and take you to church and take us to a place I didn't want to go. 
And we went to that church. And in the midst of the service, I said, truly, the Spirit of God, well, I didn't say it that way. I said, God is in this place. And I need to get out. (laughs) Two things happened. My wife was running to the front to surrender her life. I was looking for an escape. I was, I got to get out of here. But I was trapped in a pew. And we'd lived in the woods. We were uh, back in the hip generation. I don't like to say hippies. I like to say hip. We were hip. Anyway, uh, we were surrounded by all these church people. And I couldn't get out. And it came to that point in time where flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Holy Spirit has. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. I had this moment where I said, Jesus, you're the Lord, and I need to get saved. And I didn't wait for an altar call. I didn't wait for the preacher. I didn't wait for anything. I just knew the revelation in my heart, and I said, Jesus, save me. Save me. I need to be saved. You know what he did? He saved me. And my first prayer after that was renew my mind. Lord, give me a new mind. That was my very first prayer as a Christian. God, I need my mind healed. I've destroyed it. I thought, seriously, folks, I thought one time I was in the woods and I was having an experience where I was watching this moose, and I thought, that's what happens to people. They turn into moose. I mean, mooses, when looked at real closely, and they're not little baby mooses anymore, are not a pretty animal. But I became a believer. I started as a follower. I became a believer. I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, believe in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. There's not a question in there. There's not a doubt left in there. There's not room left in there for you to go, oh, I don't know what that means. It's pretty clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. In the book of Acts, Peter is speaking to the 3,000, and he says, he says, save yourself from this generation and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Believe on the Lord. I believe we're in that phase again. This is a corrupt generation. The Spirit of God is calling men and women out of it. Spirit of God is calling them forth. You follow, you believe. Then it says, get baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. If you haven't been baptized in water, you should get baptized in water. There's not a, uh, you know, it just says get baptized in water as a show, as a sign of I've made this commitment. I have made a commitment in my heart 
and I'm ready to serve God. Get baptized in water. Whole families get baptized in water. There's no reason not to. So I'm just saying, if you have not been baptized in water, I suggest you get baptized in water. You come talk to me or to Vic, and let's get you baptized in water. Let's do it before there's ice on the lake. Or we can do it in our uh, tank. But I believe baptism is an important step for every believer. You need to be baptized. When we were down in Homer and we were baptizing, we had like 15, 20 people all wanting to be baptized. And we were doing it in Kachemak Bay in April. And let me tell you something. We were baptizing in the name of Jesus. There's a lot of controversy. Do you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Do you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ? When you're in Kachemak Bay in April baptizing people, you're taking the scripture, baptize in the name of Jesus. And pretty soon you're just saying, and here's another one for you, Jesus. You know, because you're moving. A little further then it says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And the disciples said to Paul, we, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And he says, he says well, what, baptize, what baptism were you baptized in? They said, well, we were baptized in the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance. And he says, well, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You need to allow the gift of the Holy Spirit. You need to become baptized in the Holy Spirit with fire in your life. These days that we're living in, are they the last days? Whatever days we're in, it's going to require a fire in your life. I think the days of sitting on the fence, the days of the groovy Jesus movement's over. In fact, I don't even think there ever was a truly, a truly a, a, a groovy Jesus moment, uh, movement. Or day, I don't know what I'm saying, but it never existed. What existed is the most powerful force on earth, and that is the church. And we'll get into that in a minute. So you follow Jesus, you believe on Jesus, you receive baptism in water, you get your life baptized in water. It says when you come up out of the water, you recognize that when you receive Jesus Christ, you've become a new creation. You know, that was the biggest thing to me. I became a new creation. Boy, did I want to become a new creation. I really did. But I didn't understand it until I experienced it. Suddenly I realized I have been changed. The only person in my life that thought I was a good guy was me. Not even God. He knew. And he says, there's nothing good in you. I'm sorry, Mark. There's nothing good in you. Later, I read it in the Bible. I said, oh, it's for everybody. I'm going to tell you, folks, there's nothing good in you. There's not one good thing in you. You need to become a new creation in Jesus Christ. And he will take that thing that's in you that it's no good, and he will put in you a brand 
new creation that comes to life every day. So you become that new creation. Now what do I do? It says, renew your minds in the book of Romans by the washing of the water, by the word. You begin to understand the word of God. Before I received the Holy Spirit, I could read the Bible backwards. Not meaning that I could read it backwards, meaning I had no understanding. It was like it was backwards to me. I didn't get it. Of course, my start was, I think I'll read Ezekiel. That's a cool name. But once I gave my life to Jesus, once I was filled with the Holy Spirit, this word became alive to me. I began to understand it. It began to change things about the way I looked at life, the way I saw life, the way I lived life. It transformed me. It transformed me. The renewing of your mind through the washing of the water of the Word of God will transform you and begin to show you your true identity. It'll begin to show you who you truly are. And then it will begin to reveal to you the gifts of God that the Holy Spirit has given you. Do you know there's not a person in this room that the, the Holy Spirit has not gifted? There's apostles in this room. There's evangelists in this room. There's prophets in this room. There's teachers and pastors in this room. There's people in this room with gifts of healing. There's people in this room with gifts of hospitality that go beyond, you know, just natural kindness. It's a gift that just changes people. The gifts of God changes people. There's gifts of giving, gifts of helps, gifts of administration. There's all sorts of gifts. A lot of the frustration with the church is people say, well, there, there's not room for my gift. I don't know what my gift is. I don't know how to function in my gift. I'm waiting for the church to show me how to get my gift activated. There's only one person that can activate the gift of God in your life, and that's you. Just one. It's you. Well, I believe I have the gift of discernment. Well, good. Use it. Discern. Well, what if I'm wrong? Well, be wrong. Be wrong. You might not be. You're only thinking you might be. Well, what about, I feel I have the gift of healing, but I don't want to pray for somebody because what if they die? Well, you'll never know. John Wimber, who was used powerfully in the healing of God, said the first, however many people he prayed for, died. But he didn't give up. And that stuck in my heart. I had heard that one time and I went, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that. And I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to pray for people even if I don't have the faith for it. I don't have the gift of healing. It says we can all lay hands on the sick and, and pray for them. They'll recover. But there is a gift of healing that's going to be used so powerfully in these next days. This gift of healing that's going to have to come, come forward. But you're not gonna, we're not going to know anything about it unless you step out into it. And you say, I, I, I think I got the gift of healing but I'm afraid 
they might not get healed. Well, are you the healer? Or do you have the gift of healing? Just lay hands on the sick. If you're an intercessor, intercede. I went to a conference one time as a, as a pastor. They were having this conference on prayer and fasting. It was a three-day conference in the middle of the week so that you didn't miss church. You know, how come they don't have conferences for pastors where you miss church? Those would be the better conferences. Anyway, three days on prayer and fasting. You know what we did not do in those three days? We did not pray and we did not fast. But we learned all about it. We need to believe, we need to confess, and then you need to act. You need to act on those things. You need to act on what God's showing you. You need to act on the Word of God. The Word of God says you're a new creation. You can act on that. But it's impossible to act on something that you don't believe. I got just a couple minutes left. Are you with me? I took a course on selling vacuums once. I'd come back from, uh, I'd come back from uh, uh, Dutch Harbor fishing for king crab season. And uh, I was in Anchorage for the winter. And I saw this thing, make up to $200 a day, which was good money in those days. Make up to $200 a day <laughs> selling vacuums. I'll never forget the vacuum. We called it the little green pig. You know, this little green pig, the, the actual vacuum case itself was made out of the same substance of the nose cone of the Atlas missile. So if it ever... Did you have one? I didn't sell it to you, but... Um, I, I still know the spiel. Atmos, uh, made out of the same substance as the nose cone of the Atlas missile so that if ever has to re-enter the earth, it's good. It's got a cutler hammer kick switch so that you can just turn it on and off like that and vacuum. Anyway, so I learned all about it and uh, I didn't sell one vacuum because I didn't believe in it. I didn't believe in it. I didn't believe that people needed it. I went to this one situation where these people were talking about it. He'd just become a, a is it an E5? Is that a promotion or an E4? What, what E's are there? What's the second E? E2? <laughs> Maybe an E2. And, uh, and the, they were a young couple, and there was another salesman there at the same time selling them some sort of uh, insurance. And I looked at these folks and they had a little baby and I was like the last thing they need is to get indebted to a vacuum and I said to myself I can't sell them this vacuum so it was my turn the other salesman left I mean we learned it all you know when you show them the contract hold the pen 
and you've already figured out if they're left-handed or right-handed, you turn the pin accordingly and you kind of turn it, they'll grab the pin because it's, it's sliding off the page. They'll grab the pin, it's in their hands, and you say, now look, press hard. There's three copies. I learned it all. I believed none of it. But then I found something that I could believe in. I found something that I knew was sure because it transformed me, it changed me. I had not become a Christian at this time. I was a vacuum cleaner salesman. All right. Follow Christ, believe on him, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Renew your mind through the washing of the water by the word. You need to be reading the word daily. Just do it. You go, well, I don't understand it. Well, you will. Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and show you. By the way, that's found in Romans 12, too. And then activate the gifts in your life. You're a minister of righteousness. You know, every one of you has a church. Did you know that? You have a building with four walls and a roof that you most likely reside in. When I was in Costa Rica, it was so exciting because every person that got saved was immediately told, your home is a church now. You've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your home is a church. We'll be here Wednesday night with a group of folks. You invite your neighbors. You know, and I went to the first one. And it's Costa Rica. you got to keep that in mind. We went to the first one. We were the only ones there. The guy that had gotten saved was a, a, a dairy farmer. And he finally came in, had to change his clothes. He came out with a Marlboro cigarette T-shirt on. He was proud of because it was clean. And, you know, it was a whole different scene, right? And he comes in, and then his wife finally comes in, and we're sitting there, a group of about six of us. We said we'd be there, at, I think it was 6.30. At 8 o'clock, all of his neighbors came. He had told all of his neighbors, I got saved. My home is a church given to Jesus Christ. Come here 8 o'clock, or... <laughs> Come here at 6.30, that's 8 to them. That's 8 Costa Rican time. That's 8 our time. Uh, and uh, the place filled up. Well, 10.30, I'm like, uh, can we go home now? It's just getting going. People are getting saved. People are being prayed for and getting healed. Now, did they go to Bible college for that? Nothing wrong with Bible college, but they didn't go. They're just new believers. But they're believing, they're confessing, and they're acting. And they're stepping into those things. You have gifts. I want you to use them. I want you to just say, I'm not sure if this is my gift or not, but I'm prompted in it. And I want to do this. Do it. And you'll discover soon enough if it's your grace or not. And if it's not, you know... I love prophets. That's one of my favorites. I love to hang around prophets. I don't know about having them focus on my life. But 
there's something hanging around a prophet, I get prophetic. There's something about hanging around apostolic people, you get apostolic. Something about hanging around mature people, you get mature. Something hanging about people that have a gift of healing, you all of a sudden feel you can do those things. But it doesn't mean that that's necessarily your gift. It's how that a gift is affecting everybody's life for the maturing of the saints. See, if all of our gifts are functioning, the whole church rises up and becomes equipped and matured. Prepare yourselves. That's what's taking place. Now, this next move of God, and I'm going to close with this, I believe is going to be different in the sense, as far as in America, is every previous move of God the move of God that happened before it had a hard time receiving the new move of God. And the new move of God had a hard time receiving from the older Christians. This one, I believe God is doing something very vital and very unique in that the millennials and the younger Christians and the new believers working together with those that have walked with God many, many years, walking together, seeing what God is going to do. You see, the most powerful thing on this planet is the church. The church in its beginning, in its infancy, the most powerful force on earth at that time, the Roman Empire could not stop it. And over the years, religion hasn't been able to stop it. Wars have not been able to stop it. It's the most powerful force on earth. It goes on to say that even the very gates of hell cannot prevail against this. You are the church, and it says of you, you are the most powerful force when we're together on this planet, and nothing can stop it. It is going to go forth, the kingdom of God, it says, encounters violence. And men of great force and men and women of strength, those that have been in the Joel 2-2, Joel is it 2-2? Saying, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. That's now my job. And your young men will see visions. The church, that's you and me, that's us, is the most powerful force on this planet. It's so exciting to be a part of that in this day and see that that is what God is going to be doing and it's going to be moving forcefully throughout the earth. I am so excited to see people delivered, set free. I'm excited to see people that have all these hang-ups, like I did, instantaneously set free. And then it says, and the final step is become a disciple of Jesus Christ, a whole hearted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Become a disciple. The church has 
for the last few years has failed to make disciples. What we have done is talked uh, ad nauseum about not being offended. The church is, oh, don't be offended. We can't be offended. Let's don't be offended. Here's what you do if you're offended. No, you're going to be offended. How many Christians do you know saying, I'm, I'm not going to church, I got offended there. They hurt my feelings, they said things, this happened, that happened, I didn't like this, I didn't like that. And we're trying to, oh, you know, don't be offended. It's okay. It's, it is okay. You're going to be offended. You know who said that? Jesus said, offenses will come. But if you're a disciple and you get knocked down with an offense, you know how to get up and you know how to fight properly and you know how to go forward in victory and not allow the devil to use an offense to destroy you and to steal your fire. Amen? Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.